Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Today, as we get into the armor of God revealed, it is going to, I believe many people are going to go to a whole new level today. Not only a deeper appreciation for what the armor of God is, I wrote it in the caption for this video that many people learned the song for the armor of God growing up in children's church and stuff. So it's good to know what the armor is. It's good to know the details of the armor. It's good to know the shield of faith, you know, the actual list of what belongs to us in Ephesians 6. Uh, that Paul listed out so elegantly. However, if all you do is just know how, just know what what they are, you know, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, if all you know is to list them in list form, see, that's what I find is the problem with the schooling system today because I find in schools, a lot of people, like people are taught to, to get the answer right on the test. They're taught to re- remember and memorize certain things and facts, but is there learning that's taking place? Do they understand what the specific things they're, they're memorizing, what they actually mean? Are there, is there critical thinking that's going on? That, I believe, is a problem with many school systems, specifically in Quebec. We're taught to memorize and then just vomit out what we've memorized on a test, but then there's no real learning down the line because you go three, four, five years. You ask me, when I, you know what I learned in college, I, I barely remember anything. Uh, not Bible college, from college before Bible college, because I was just taught to memorize the facts to put on a, on a test, the, you know, in history class, the historical days, the people. But did you learn the lesson? Did you actually learn the lesson? The same thing goes when the Word of God. I don't want to just memorize the Word. I don't want to just memorize what is the armor of God. I want to learn what does that mean for me? What does the breastplate, breastplate, breastplate of righteousness actually do for me? What does it entail? What is the lesson behind it? What was Paul actually saying? Was he just saying, huh, you know what? I just saw a Roman legionnaire today and you know what let me just and as I'm writing this I'm just gonna note everything I saw on him and I'm just gonna put righteousness and salvation everything at the end of it you know we're just I like to explore different styles of writing that's not every scripture was inspired of God and it was God breathed and so when Paul wrote the breastplate of righteousness or the helmet of salvation or the loin girding yourself with the uh, with truth or the sword of the spirit or the 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 the, the shoes of the gospel of peace everything has a meaning behind it every one of those things has a deeper uh a a revelation an insight that will expand your appreciation and your understanding of what it truly means to have the breastplate of righteousness and so on and so forth so i want to get into this today title today's broadcast the armor of god revealed the armor of god unveiled the armor of god explained you know, when, you, when you're veiled, it's hard to see anything. Even if the veil is very thin, it's still everything's hazy. But when the veil comes off, everything is clearly seen. The devil wants to work overtime to keep you veiled to the armor of God, to keep you veiled to what it truly means to carry this armor. How to carry this armor? Are we going to some armory? Is there like a place in Montreal or in whatever city you're in where you can go and sign out some of the armor and there's like physical pieces? No, we're not 
talking about actual armory today. We're not talking about an actual sword. You know, I get a lot, especially in the last 20 year, 20 months, I've been hearing people like, how can, you know, what are we going to do? The nation keeps getting uh, tighter on lockdowns and everything. Should we pick up guns to fight? Should we pick up sword to fight? And my answer to them is no, because our weapons of warfare are not carnal they're not carnal. The church has survived through the ages, not by picking up swords and fighting, but by this magnificent thing called prayer and by equipping ourselves with the armor of God as listed in Ephesians 6. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But what people forget, what people seem to not remember oftentimes is that they are mighty through God. So it's not carnal, meaning you can't pick it up. There's nothing. There's no sort of faith that you can go to the Vatican and locate and see it today, or you know, uh, the the AG headquarters. But the weapons of our warfare and the armor of God is mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, taking everything in captivity to the obedience of Christ, casting down imaginations, casting down wild thoughts, casting down opposing arguments against God's word. So I wanted to read beginning uh, with Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. This is what the Bible says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. So it doesn't say that the armor of God's automatically on you just because you're saved. It doesn't say the, auto, the armor of God is, is an automatic thing. That the moment you get saved, all the, it's like it just, it just fell on you. And, and now you're walking in your... No matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter uh, how you live, the armor of God is there to stay. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul says that we have the duty, the task, the responsibility to actually put on the armor of God. To take time daily in applying this armor to our life. And I'm going to show you how you can do that. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the scripture says there's the wiles of the devil. What does that mean? The attacks of hell. Satanic schemes. Satanic uh, adversaries that have joined together to make life a living hell for you. The, if you think that life is funfair, you're in for a rude awakening. Life is not funfair. Life is warfare. The moment you were born, you were born into warfare. And Adam, when Adam and Eve sinned, the war began. Actually, the war precedes that when Satan rose up against God and he was cast down to the earth. But uh, nonetheless, we entered into the war when Adam and Eve sinned. So what everybody that's born, if you are born, obviously you're watching this, you were born. The moment you're born, you've entered into warfare. You've, enga- you've enlisted into the army, whether you like it or not, whether you're redeemed or not. When you're unredeemed, you're vulnerable. The devil can do whatever. The devil can slap you around. The devil can make, you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, we were under the control of the spirit of disobedience. We were under the power of darkness. We were by nature children of wrath, the wrath of the devil. The devil had come down to the earth having great wrath. Remember that. So he looks as a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 7, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the Bible says that there's people whom he can devour and then there's other people that the devil can simply not devour. He has no ability to do it. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18 and 19 says, uh, Brethren, we 
walk in truth, God's seed abides in us, and so the enemy or the wicked one cannot touch us. So there's people that the devil has free reign to do whatever he wants to, and then there's other people that belong to the camp of the, the, um, the, the untouchables, the unreachables. Remember Ephesians 2 says, when we were born in Christ, born again in Christ, we were raised up to be seated with him in heavenly places far above, far above principalities, far above dominions, far above all the powers of darkness. We were seated with Christ in heavenly places far above the things that the world has to deal with. Now, I'm not saying a lot of people hear this and they think, wow, TJ preaches this like uh, no confrontation Christianity. That's not what the Bible teaches, and I agree. I'm not talking about no confrontation. I'm talking about being born from above and being above the confrontations that come against you. That no matter what the devil forms against you, it never prospers. No matter the attack, it never comes to fruition. It never prospers into what the devil wanted it to prosper into. The devil has plans. The Bible says he comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. And when you're under the, the rule of the dominion of darkness, you fall victim to being stolen from, to being killed, to being destroyed, to being uh, stripped of joy, being stripped of, of peace and of, of serenity and of peace of mind. But when we, like the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, were delivered from the powers of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light, wherein we have redemption by his blood and forgiveness according to the riches of his grace, we now we walk by a different set of rules. I'm not under darkness anymore. I'm under the dominion of light. I don't, I'm not part of the country of sin anymore. I'm not part of the country that Satan is president in. His jurisdiction is it has no influence on the jurisdiction I now abide in. His laws do not influence my laws. That's why Romans 8 says, the law of the spirit of Christ has set us free from the laws of sin and death. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the laws of sin and death. The tyranny of the devil no longer applies to you. Oh, come on, I'm preaching to someone today. You have been living under the tyrannical government and, and, and authoritarian dictatorship of Satan, even though you've been born again, because of a lack of light, a lack of exposure to truth. You've been convinced, maybe by religion, that ultimately will only be delivered when, he when heaven comes. That When you start talking like that, you've made death your savior and you've relinquished Christ as savior. You've made death your savior. You're believing God that when you die, you'll finally have salvation. The difference between you and I is I believe God that when Christ died and rose again and I received the finished work of the cross, I received the full benefits of salvation. David said it this way, Oh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all my sins. That's where a lot of people stay. I'm forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. But ultimately, life's just going to be hell on earth until then. No, it doesn't have to be. You know, as your faith is so be it unto you. If you're believing for life to be hell on earth, then life will be hell on earth for you. But if you'll start to believe what the Bible actually says, life after redemption is. Now there's going to be persecution. There's going to be challenges. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trial and you'll have tribulation. But it doesn't say so 
to, uh, you know, good luck with that. He says, but take heart, be of good cheer, get happy, don't get sad, turn that frown upside down, for I have overcome this world, and because I've overcome, you also enter in. When you're joined with me, you become part of the camp of overcomers. Gone are the days where you're walking around, being slapped around, being manipulated, being taken advantage of by the enemy. They don't, Paul said, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices and schemes, lest we should be taken advantage of. I don't want to be ignorant to what the devil's trying to do, and I don't want to be ignorant to what God has made me to be in redemption, and as such, be a victim all my life. Live as, as, as you know, going from pit to pit, and disaster to disaster, just hoping for that day when Christ will finally rescue me. No, Christ has rescued me. See, there's, a, there's two types of Christians. There's the people waiting for Christ to rescue them from sin, waiting for Christ to rescue them from sickness, waiting for Christ to rescue them from, from, from the spirit of this world. And then there's people like me, and I know many of you watching right now. We're not waiting for those things to happen. We have. We've entered into the into it. Hebrews chapter uh, six says, "Brethren, I am confident of things that come uh, concerning you, my brethren. Things that come with salvation. I don't believe things are coming with salvation. I believe things came when I got saved. When I received Christ, I received Him in His fullness. That's why Paul said to the Romans, he said, "I know that when I come to you, I am." coming with the fullness of the blessing of the gospel oh hallelujah the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of jesus christ i'm not half blessed i'm full blessed i'm not a quarter blessed i'm full blessed the bible says he anoints my head with fresh oil my cup's not running halfway it's running to overflow the devil wants to keep you from this truth because as long as he's deceived you and as long as he can keep you down in lies and his deceptive intimidation uh, uh, strategies, then he has robbed you of ever entering in to to the blessing that God has for you. But the moment light comes, remember, light shines in darkness and darkness can't contain it. Darkness can't control it. Darkness can't do anything about it. That's why the devil's main game in life is to keep you from your access to light. Keep. That's why you think of reading the word and all of a sudden you feel like doing your taxes from 1996 to now. You feel like just revising everything. You want to read the word and all of a sudden your, your, your best friend uh, that you haven't talked to from college, you used to be your best friend 40 years ago, all of a sudden calls you and says they want to reconnect and you spend three hours on the phone and then the thought of reading the word escapes and then you've gone on to something else. That's why when you step out to read the word, all of a sudden, you see uh, your favorite television show just released a new season on Netflix and you decide to do that. You understand what I'm saying? The devil tries to keep you from accessing light because light is the solution to darkness and he's the prince of darkness and the light of God's word holds power over the prince of darkness. So the, that's why uh, David said in Psalm 119, the entrance of his word brings light. The entrance of his word brings light. So when you what you're doing right now. That's why I commend you for, for tuning in today. You're, you're allowing the entrance of God's word. In so doing, you're generating light on the inside of you, and that light is dismantling the lies, the pillars of darkness that the enemy has set up in your life to keep you a victim, to keep you down, to keep you in despair, to keep you despondent, to keep you sorrowful. But today, those days end because the Bible says, weeping endures for a night, but when the light of God's word comes, joy comes in the morning this is your morning of joy in the mighty name of jesus christ ephesians 6 and verse 11 put on the whole armor of god 
So don't be a lazy Christian. You got to decide today. I'm not going to be a lazy Christian. I'm not going to be a lazy Christian and then just resolve to say, whenever something bad happens, just say it must be God's will. That's what lazy Christians do. Lazy Christians, the moment things go bad, instead of taking ownership, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not doing everything all right. Maybe I've missed it somewhere. Like David said in Psalm 139, Lord, try my heart. See if there be any anxious thing in me. See if there be any harmful thing in me and lead me in the everlasting way. David had humility. When things didn't go right, he didn't say, well, you know, we got to take what's good and we got to take the bad. No, he said, Lord, t- see if there's anything that's preventing me from, from receiving what your word promises I can have. And, and if there is something there, lead me in the everlasting way. Remove it from me. I, I, I'm not going to set anything wicked before my eyes. I want, I'm dedicated to pleasing you and pleasing you is my priority. Anything that gets in that way, I want it out. Lazy Christians do the opposite. Things go bad, they blame God. Things go bad, they blame the devil. It's easy and it's the lazy approach in life to blame everybody else except for yourself. But the real way... To, to get to the bottom of your situation, 1 Peter 5.10 says that we are to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And when we do that, he begins to exalt you. He begins to lift you up. He begins to take you out of the miry clay and put your feet on a rock to stay. So we are to put on the full armor of God. I'm gonna, I want you to write that in the comment section. I'm taking responsibility today. I'm taking responsibility today. Gone are the days of just living life as it goes. I'm taking responsibility today. If you want to have dominion over the devil, you can't just take things as they go. You have to take responsibility because when you take responsibility, you're taking charge. When you take charge, then you take dominion over what the devil's trying to do in your life. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the good news is, is that there's a way to stand. So if you've fallen today, the righteous man can fall seven times, but get back up. Get back up. If you have fallen today, the Bible says that we, there is, Paul's about to get into something where when you put on this armor of God, you can actually stand. You don't have to fall. How I many of you know we all fall in different ways? You don't have to fall. Get rid of that garbage religious jargon. It's, it's irritating to my spirit. You know when Paul was going through Athens and he saw the city given over to idols and the Bible says he was vexed in his spirit. He was annoyed in his spirit. He was irritated in his spirit. He was stirred up in his spirit. When, when I hear people talk like that, it irritates me in my spirit because the Bible gives you a clear a clear instruction on how you can stand in life you don't have to fall and you have christian you know pastors and leaders just because someone's a pastor and has the title pastor does not mean they know everything just because a man has a title evangelist does not mean he knows everything just because i don't claim to know everything I strive to know more. I, I, like Paul says, I'm, I'm uh, in Philippians chapter 3, he says that I might know him in the fellowship of his suffering and in the power of his resurrection. There's a longing in my heart to know more about him. But there are some things that I do know. And you know, you have a lot of people that have the title of minister and because they don't get it right, Instead of lining, instead of preaching the standard of the word, they start preaching the standard of their life. Because I fell, then obviously it's not realistic for anyone else to stand. So let me preach how you can fall and then life, the reality of life, that it's just going to be a life of stumbling and a life. You know, Jesus actually said, if you walk in darkness, you're going to stumble. But if you walk in light, you cannot stumble. David said in Psalm 119, he says, great peace have they that love his word and nothing makes them to stumble. 
First, uh, I think it's in First Peter chapter 1. Peter says in the New Testament that if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will provide for yourself an, a, a, a way into the everlasting life of Jesus Christ. So he literally says, if you apply what I'm saying from the word, then you will never stumble. So there's a stumble-free path in life. There's a way where you can walk in life fully girded with this armor of God where you're not being uh, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men and deceitful spirits, but instead you're walking in power. You're walking in confidence. You're, you're like the Bible says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. They turn not away from any. That anything that gets in your way, you're not the one that's going to move. They're the thing that's going to move. Joshua 1.3, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. Now rise. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You know, it's funny how that passage that God spoke to Joshua to write in the book of Joshua that he didn't say Joshua what I'm writing just put a little asterisk and say this is only for Joshua he didn't say that because what God spoke to Joshua he he told Joshua to write down so that he can now use that same word for everyone else that would read it and drill that same word and that same confidence that he had in Joshua to drill it in you today. He didn't say, Joshua, what I'm telling you, don't go out and write it in a book so others can read it and then get this false confidence that they're going to walk in this. No, 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 this is just for you. He didn't say that. He said, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is death, dead, but now rise. And no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And every soul, every place on which the sole of your foot treads on is land that I'm giving to you. So be strong and be courageous. Meaning walk as a warrior. Don't walk as a wimp. There's too many wimpy Christians. Wimpy Christians. We need warrior Christians. People that have the armor of God on. People that have the mindset of a warrior. That whatever God's told me to do, I'm moving in that direction and nothing can stop me. Nothing can prevent me. Nobody can cancel that which God has commanded. Nobody can annul that which God has ordained. And nobody can turn back God's hand when once he has stretched it forth. We need warrior Christians. I want you to put that in the comment section. Say, I'm a warrior Christian. I'm a warrior Christian. Bible says you can stand. Verse 12, this is what I was getting to. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now that word wrestle, people think that, you know, we're in this sweat ring. Like, like it's, it's a sweaty wrestling match. And, and we've got blood on our face and the devil has blood on his face. And it, it's just a terrible bloodbath. That's not what the word wrestle there in Paul's Ephesians 6 um, statement. That's not what it means. The word wrestle there is just meaning being in a fight. We're, we're, we're engaged in a battle. Now, if I got into a ring, I have a friend who's, who's a top UFC, uh, MMA fighter. And I, I always joke around with him that if ever he needs like a, sp a sparring partner, uh, I'd be willing to do it. I don't mean top UFC, uh, MMA fighter as in like he's good and he does amateur league. I'm talking about he was number one contender for the belt in UFC. He had the belt in Bellator and uh, he, he's a PFL champ now. Like, he's, 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 a, he's a, a world-class fighter. I always joke around saying, if ever you need a sparring partner, let me know. I, I'll, be glad to, I'll be glad to come in. I would never actually enter into a ring with him. He'd break every bone in my body. However, my point in bringing that up is that if I got into the ring with him, I, I stand no chance. He's, way, he's got way more strategy and strength than I do. It's still a wrestling match. It's still a fight. It's not much of a fight, but it's still a fight. It's still titled a fight. It's still called a fight. If it went on pay-per-view, they'd call it, 
you know, UFC night whatever, whatever fight, it, it'd be declared a fight, but it would not be a good fight for me. In the same vein, we're in a fight with the enemy. We're in a wrestling match with the enemy. But because of this, the weapons of our warfare and the armor of God and the name of Jesus and the, arm, the weapon of prayer and the power of the anointing that resides in us, the fight's fixed. We have, that's why the Bible says, through Christ we have overwhelming victory over all the power of the devil. Greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. So yes, we, a lot of people read that. We wrestle against flesh and blood. I mean, you know, it's tough. You know, spiritual warfare is tough. We are in spiritual warfare. We are in a wrestling match. However, because of the magnanimous advantages that God has given us by redemption, it ain't much of a fight. Because we have, we have more than enough arsenal in our tool belt. You know, just the name of Jesus has power that the mention of it makes every need a bow. I mean, I could just do, I just preach on the name of Jesus the rest of my ministry and we have just as many miracles, signs, and wonders. But there's, God didn't just stop. Even all we do need is the name of Jesus and faith in that name. God gave us so much more, especially in this armor of God, so that we're able to stand and that even though we're in a wrestling match with the enemy, it ain't a fair, it, we have, a, an, un, we have a, an, an amazing advantage. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I have to also add, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So that boss, that boss you have that's making life miserable, miserable for you, he's not your problem. The government in your, in your city or whatever that's, that's you know, restricting access to all those things, that, that's not your problem. Flesh and blood is not your problem. When you're a carnal person or a natural mind, then you immediately look at what you can see and you blame what you can see. But spiritual people understand that there's an influence behind the person. There's an influence behind the agenda. You know, as wicked of a president or a prime minister that you might have, especially in Canada, and what he's trying to implement, I, I don't blame him for it. There's, there is a demonic spirit at work behind the scenes. That's why the Bible calls... Uh, them principalities they are principalities they are national principalities there are city principalities there are regional principalities so we're not wrestling against your local mayor we're wrestling against principalities behind the scene you got to look with your spiritual eyes life is spiritual life is not natural whatever you see that's not what it is there's something behind the veil that us christians have to understand lest we should take a natural approach to this against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. A perfect example of this is Daniel praying for the deliverance of his nation in Daniel chapter 9 through 11. He's praying and fasting. He's not organizing a revolution against King Darius or Nebuchadnezzar or whatever king was at the time. He wasn't organizing a revolution. He, was trying, he wasn't trying to get the Jews together and doing this backroom deal with them and trying to, 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 to have an insurrection rise up. He wasn't doing that. He wasn't an anarchist. What was he doing? Daniel was praying, and while he was praying for 21 days, there was a, a demon principality over the era of Babylon that withstood Gabriel from delivering the message to Daniel. When da Gabriel finally reached him, he said, Daniel, from the very first day you opened up your mouth to pray, I, uh, your, your, your prayers were heard, and I was sent. 
So just to encourage you, if you're on a prayer and fasting time right now, or you're praying, you're believing God for something at the moment, and you're not seeing anything change, I want you to understand that there are things arrayed against your destiny, against the answer to your prayer. But the good news is, Daniel heard from Gabriel. The very moment you open up your mouth to pray, God heard you, and I've been sent. Your fasting and your prayer released heavenly reinforcements so that I can break through the breach, that which was trying to prevent me from getting to you with the answer. There was satanic, uh, there was satanic opposition, but when you fasted and prayed, you released angelic intervention to back me up so that I was able to run free. And now I've come in answer to your prayer. So just a side note to encourage you, if you're, you're believing God for something and you're fasting and you're praying, you're not seeing anything change, keep doing it. Don't give up. Persevere. Endure. For the Bible says, Will not God avenge his own elect who call to him day and night? I tell you, he will answer them speedily. So these principalities are working against, against the church and against you specifically. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. There it is again. You can stand in the evil day. You don't have to just succumb. An attack comes, that doesn't mean go belly up. The attack comes, that doesn't mean give up. Do you want to know something amazing? If you won't give up, the devil will give up for free. If you don't let up, the devil will let up. The devil is a quitter. He is a quitter. He has no endurance. He has no stamina. He quits. Look at it in Jesus' day. Comes with him with three temptations, and then he quit. Couldn't even stand more than three, three, uh, three counterattacks from the word of God. He quit. So the devil's a big quitter. He's a loser. If you don't give up, the, he, he gives up. But if you give up, he wins. The devil cannot stop a believer who refuses to stop. The devil cannot stop a believer who refuses to quit. Impossible. That's why the Bible says in all these things we're more than conquerors. More than conquerors by Christ Jesus. Take up the whole armor of God that be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Well, I feel like I've done all this before and I, I, I'm still not seeing anything change. Having done all, stand. Continue to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore. I mean, that's three times the word stand is used in like three verses. Stand, stand, stand. Don't give up. Don't be intimidated. Philippians 1.28, in no way be terrified by your adversary, the devil, which is a sign to him of his destruction, but to you of God's salvation. If you fall in fear, if you cower back in fear and intimidation, that's, there's, nothing, there's nothing God can do. The Bible says, the one who draws back my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But if you'll stand in faith, and having done all, to keep standing, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. I'm going to keep doing what I know the word of God tells me to do. I'm going to keep walking in obedience. You see, the temptation when things don't go your way is to just give up. Well, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm losing all discipline, all spiritual. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to read anymore. I'm going to go back to the bars. I'm going to go back to drinking. I'm going to give up. And then, you know, the wages of sin is death. So you give in to sin because you're not seeing anything happen, not even knowing that if you had just persevered a little more, the breakthrough would have come. Paul and Silas are in a prison cell. And they're scheduled for execution in the morning. Talk about things not going too well. 
They're serving God with all their might, doing everything God told them to do, and now they're in a prison cell. And you know what they did? They didn't give up. They strengthened the hands that were hanging limp. They strengthened their feeble knees. They rose up in faith and said, you know what, Paul? You know what? Let's start singing a song. A song. Silas said, uh, Silas told Paul, and Paul said, you know what? That's a great idea. We've done everything. Let's continue to stand. And they started to sing in that prison cell. I'm sure they sang, what a mighty God we serve. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Heaven and earth adores him. Uh, angels bow before him. What a mighty God we serve. As they did that, God couldn't ignore that. Pray, their praise was an invitation God would never turn down. And he stepped into that prison cell. God didn't send an angel. God came himself. How do we know that? Because the Bible says in Psalm 114, Tremble thou, O earth, at the presence of the God of Jacob. The earth shook. Everyone's chains fell off. Every prison cell door opened up. And they left. They had a breakthrough that night. You've done everything everything. Now's not the time to quit. Now's not the time to give the devil a victory. Now's the time to persevere and say, he that began a good work in me, he's going to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. He that began a good work in me, he's not left me. He's not abandoned me. He's not forsaken me. My God is for me. And as such, who can come against me? No weapon formed against me will prevail. I'm going to make it to the other side, whether the devil likes it or not. I am victorious by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's get in it. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, having above all take up the shield of faith wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take up the helmet of salvation the sword of the, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'm going to go through the six elements of the armor of God. I started this, I did this huge introduction, 40 minutes to tell you, and if you don't get it now, I don't know what's going to convince you, but I wanted to tell you from the word of God, you're called to live in victory. You're called to walk in victory. Thanks be unto God who always leads us to triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. You weren't called to lose, you're called to win. And here's how you win. Number one, gird your, your uh, waist up with the, loin, with, uh, with the belt of truth. The number one component of the armor of God is the belt of truth. What does a belt do? A belt holds things together. A belt contains things. A belt prevents you from just your pants from falling off. A belt, you know, for some people, a belt will actually help you hold in, you know, um, they used to do this in like old Britain. I'm sure people still do it when they wear dresses today. Not men, obviously, women. But, um, there were some dresses that they would wear, like I don't know if it's called a corsage or something, but it would like it would tighten their their it tightens their abdomen so that they can fit in this dress and and make it look like they have a very skinny uh, abdominal area, skinny waist and stuff. That's what the belt of truth does. It holds you together so that your belly doesn't just flop out. <laughs> the belt of truth holds things together. The truth of God is the thing that, that keeps you together. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you corset. There you go. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you contained. It keeps you level-minded. It keeps you uh, established in a world where truth seems to be failing. You know, let me read this. Isaiah chapter 59. Because truth is being challenged more than ever before. Truth is receiving a massive challenge. Now, there's no, 
in a lot of circles, there's no rel- there's no truth. Everything's relative. Everything is is um, subjective. Well, that's your truth, but this is my truth. Well, that's how you think, but this is how I think. There isn't your truth and my truth. There aren't different levels. There is the truth, and that's it. Two plus two isn't four for some and six for others. Two plus two is four. There's no moral relativity. There's no truth relativity. There is one absolute truth. There's not many ways to heaven, and you just pick and choose what what from every religion you appreciate and like, and, and you just go with that, have this buffet religion. That's what New Age spiritualism is. That's not how things work. There is truth, and anything that goes against it is labeled as a lie. This is what Isaiah 59 says, and Isaiah's speaking of end time, end time uh, events. Verse 14, justice is turned, actually let me start with verse 13. In transgressing, transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, you're speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. Verse 15, so truth fails and he who departs from evil has made himself a prey. So now you start to declare truth and you're labeled as a bigot. You're labeled as a fanatic. You're labeled as an extremist. You're labeled as an intolerant hack. That's how they label people that declare truth. Paul said, have I now become your enemy because I've become a follower of that which is true? Have I become your enemy because I speak to you that which is truth? So in a time where in the world truth is being challenged, I mean, you look at it. Nobody knows what bathroom to go to anymore. Well, if you feel like a girl today, go into the girl's bathroom. You feel like a boy today, go into the boy's bathroom. You feel like uh, 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 sleeping with the opposite sex, then go ahead. Follow what your heart, just do it. You know, that's where Nike started it all off. Just do it, feels good, do it. It's true for you. What a satan, that's called hedonism. It's, it's It's the crux of all satanic activity. Just do what feels good for you. That's how he got Adam and Eve out of the Eden, out of the Garden of Eden. He said, hey, God's trying to hold pleasure back from you. Eat the fruit. It'll give you everything you've ever wanted. It'll make you feel good. And they went and they fell because of of, of transgression, because they obeyed the devil's lies. They listened. They gave him audience. Bible says in the last days, Many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Seducing spirits. So demonic spirits have a a mandate to seduce you to their side by challenging what is true. That's why the moment you receive a word like this, Matthew 13 says, when the seed of the word is sown into the heart, immediately the devil and his demons, they, they are released to try and snatch away the truth that's been sown into your heart. Because it's only where the truth prevails that freedom manifests. So the devil works to snatch the truth out of your heart because the truth holds you together. The truth sustains you. The truth keeps you. The truth establishes you. There's a war on truth right now. 
There's people that literally call, there's, there is no truth. There's no truth any longer. That's, that's how they live their life. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And because Jesus is eternal, truth is eternal because he said, I am the truth. Truth doesn't change. Truth does not adapt to social and cultural norms. Truth sustains itself through the ages. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word, thy truth is settled in the heavens. It wasn't true in the year 33 AD. And now, because we've advanced as a society, we've gone beyond that. No, we actually, uh, psychology has determined that some of the stuff in the word of God isn't. You know what's funny? Is science is always trying to, you know, a lot of times they try and challenge the word of God. A lot of these atheist scientists, they're trying to challenge the truths of the word of God. But then if you wait long enough, you know, there were scientists that actually contended that the earth was flat for a long time. When the word of God in Isaiah 41, I believe it is, says that God is sitting above the sphere of the earth, the circle of the earth. If you read the Hebrew, it says the sphere of the earth. So the truth hasn't changed. Isaiah is 800 BC. Science up until I think it was like 1400s believed that the earth was flat. Isaiah understood the earth wasn't flat in 800 BC. Science is always catching up with Bible truth because the truth of the word is eternal. It stays the same through the ages. It is as eternal as God because in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And at the end shall be the word because the word was, is God and the word, will, the word and God are one. There, a man is only as good as his word. A man and his word are one. God and his word are one. He says, I actually hold my word above my own name. Hallelujah. Psalm 119, 128, David said this, Therefore all your precepts, all your word concerning all things. So whatever the word says on any subject matter, David said, I consider to be right and I hate every false way. So when you have the belt of truth on, not only do you, do you um, gravitate towards Bible truths, not only do you receive Bible truths, but anything that you might hear that counters the word of God the belt of truth will actually cause something to be, there'll be like a check in your spirit. How many of you have, by just clicking one or press, pressing one in the chat, how many of you have heard something and it rubbed you the wrong way in your spirit and you meditated on it, you searched it out and you found it in the word of God afterwards what the truth on that subject was and then you realize that's why I had a check in my spirit because it was actually opposing it was running opposite to what uh to what the truth is and so the spirit of truth the spirit of god who is the spirit of truth put a check in my spirit and then like the good berean people i searched in the word whether these things be so and i discovered it ain't so look look at all the ones exactly exactly that's what the belt of truth does it holds things together and then i'll add another thing the belt of the, the belt of truth is actually the core component for all the rest of the armor of God. If you don't have the belt of truth, all the other armor, it holds all the other armor on. It keeps, it, it keeps everything on you. So it's not just girding the waist. The belt of truth, it keeps the breastplate on properly. It keeps 
the 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 shoes on properly. It keeps the the um, the, the helmet on properly. The belt of truth is like the foundational uh, piece of armor that keeps all of the other things in place. So if the belt of truth is out of place, then the armor of righteousness will fall off. The shoes will be too large and they'll fall off the moment you start running. The helmet is too big. It's just going to tip over. The sword ain't going to hold on. The, the shield of faith is going to be too heavy for you. Everything else will fall out of place. But when the belt of truth is in place, everything else lines up. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is a, de it's a defensive thing. So what does a breastplate cover? It covers your vital organs. A breastplate covers pretty much your abdominal area up until, and I studied a bit, that that actual breastplate uh, in the Greek that he was referring to is a breastplate that actually covers up to the neck. So it's like a full-out breastplate. Covers all the vital areas of your life, of your body. Covers your heart, covers your lungs, covers your kidney, uh, not your kidney, your, your liver. Covers your neck, your jugular veins and all that that can easily take you out if they get severed. So the breastplate of righteousness is the defensive measure of the armor of God. One of the defensive measures of the armor of God. The reason for it is that nothing destroys your life like sin. It's the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is not just, it's not just uh, chasing after that which is right, but it's abstaining from every form of evil and even the appearance of evil. So the Bible says that we have this breastplate of righteousness, which is not only our righteousness in Christ, which is imputed to us, but our striving to live righteous lives. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The moment sin enters, you've lifted off. The moment you walk out in sin, the moment you decide to choose the pleasures of sin, you have lifted off the breastplate of righteousness and you're fully vulnerable for attack. That's when the enemy can come in like a flood and affect your vitals. And if left unchecked, it, it destroys you. Walking righteously will safeguard you from satanic attacks that are fatal. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 6, listen to this. Proverbs chapter 13. If you're just tuning in now, you do me a great favor. If you share the broadcast, it's going to help get this word out to more people. Thank you for all 227 people that are online right now. God bless you all. I pray this is helping you. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 6. Listen to what the word of God says. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. So righteousness is like a breastplate that guards you from attack. Guards you from the swords of the enemy. Guards you from, from, uh, from further strategies and plans of hell to wipe you out. But wickedness, the decision to live in sin, will overthrow the sinner. The breastplate of righteousness keeps you from the lies of the enemy ever getting into your heart. People that are sinful are usually easy, easily manipulated and deceived. Because the longer you walk in sin, the, the more your spiritual sensitivity to truth is turned off. And the more that happens, 
the more likely and the more the chances are you get conned by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why it's the breastplate of righteousness. It guards your heart from deceit. It guards your heart from lies. It guards your heart from satanic woes. It guards your confidence. You know, the Bible says, guard your heart above everything else. Sin makes you susceptible to satanic deception. Because you're, vulnerable, you're open, your heart's open. It's like an, an open invitation. When you walk in righteousness, when you walk in holiness, you now have a defense system set up where what other people are easily influenced by, it doesn't influence your heart. You're set in your way. It also, it also increases your confidence. Because remember, the Bible says in 1 John 3.22, Brethren, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Breastplate covers the heart. Breastplate covers the heart. I said that before. And John says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So if you don't have the breastplate of righteousness on, and that you're living a holy life, and not only living a holy life, there's two parts to the breastplate of righteousness. There is the living a holy life part, and then there's the, the walking in what redemption has made you to be, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what the devil tries to accuse me of, of what I've done in my past, I am righteous because Christ has declared me to be righteous. That's how you can practically apply the, uh, the, uh, the blessed plate of righteousness. It's by declaring yourself to be righteous. No matter what I've done. Because I've repented, I've been changed. I've been turned. He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's how you can practically apply the the breastplate of righteousness, part of the armor of God, on your life every single day. And keep it on. By reminding yourself, I'm no longer the sinner saved by grace. I'm I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I'm now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, in 1 John 3, says, 3, 7, He that walks in lawlessness is of the devil. But he that practices righteousness is righteous even as he, Christ, is righteous. So the same white robe that Christ has, that pure, that purity, that glistening, uh, spotless robe that he has, that when he appears, when Jesus at the right hand of God can stand in the presence of God, he, no, no long, he doesn't have a, a, a sense of inferiority. Jesus doesn't have a sense of condemnation in him. Now, by virtue of our connection with Christ, there's no longer any condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And the same way Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies with boldness and confidence, we now can appear before God without any sense of inferiority, any sense of condemnation, any sense of guilt for our past because uh, Christ has declared us to be righteous. The Bible says He has imputed unto us righteousness. What does imputed mean? Imputed means He has counted righteousness to you even though you didn't earn it even though you didn't deserve it you know Abraham the Bible says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness in the same vein we believe God for what he's done in the finished work of Calvary and it is now accounted to us for righteousness hallelujah so quit thinking you're an old wretched deprived sinner the moment you do that you walk in condemnation and guilt you have stripped yourself of the breastplate of righteousness. The devil can attack your heart. The devil can sow all kinds of lies. The devil can, can plant every sort of trickery and deceit. 
But when you understand I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, all his accusations of your past, all his lies about what your future holds, it, it doesn't do anything to you. It bounces off your chest. Hallelujah. Number three, shod your feet with the pre preparation of the gospel of peace. This is, so the first two that I talked about have to do with our defense. The belt of truth keeps us from falling apart and it holds every other armor together. The breastplate of righteousness keeps us uh, in sanity, under, understanding our righteousness in God. It keeps us from the lies and the deceptive trickery of the devil. It keeps us in our understanding that no matter what we've done in our past, because of Christ's blood, we've been redeemed. And so it guards us against the accusations of hell. It guards us against um, the, the seeds of lies that the enemy would sow in your heart to get you to back down and, and, and be timid and lose your confidence. But number three, the preparation of the gospel of peace shot in your feet with the shoes of, of the gospel is essentially what he's saying. This is more of an attack armor. A lot of people think, you know, how could shoes be on the attack? Because when you walk, remember I said it before, everyone which the sole of your foot treads on is land that I've given unto you. So when you're walking and everywhere you go, you're a billboard for the gospel. You're, you're like a, 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 an addicted gospel preacher. You're taking territory for the kingdom of God. You're acting as what Jesus said you can be, the light of this world. And not a city... That is hidden, but a city set on a hill. Not a, 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 a fire that's lit on a lamp and then put under a brushel or a bed, but on a lampstand that it might be giving, all, giving light to all that are in the house. So when you're proclaiming the gospel, you're shining that light. When you shine that light, you're taking territory. Here's a practical example of this. In 2019, I get a message from my friend saying that in a, a, a First Nation area in northern Saskatchewan, there was an epidemic of suicides. In a town of like 900 or 1,000 people, they had close to 14 suicides in the month of October of 2019. 14 suicide attempts. Four, six, four people actually killed themselves. And they were all like under the age of 20, I think. One of them was 40-something. But most of them were, were like... 12 years old, 14 years old, one was 7 years old that killed herself. And, um, and, and before that, throughout the months before that, I think ranging from, like, ranging from June up until October, they were, through, they were all in the news. In a town of 1,000, they, they were in CTV News, CBC News, Global News, all the major news outlets of, of Canada uh, declaring there to be a state, an epidemic in, in this First Nation area called Makwasagagan. And so, my friend sends me these articles. I haven't heard about it. I, 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 I don't listen to much news, so I didn't hear about it. My friend sent me the article, and he said, would you, consider, would you consider going? I said, consider. This is our task. I said, let's go. So we uh, planned a trip for dis like uh, two weeks after he sent me. I mean, everything that I needed to get done, it took us about two weeks. So everything I needed to get done took us about two weeks, and then we, we got on the first plane out. We got there. We rented out a hall for uh, seven days. Uh, no, Sunday through Friday. So for six days, we rented out a hall in the main area, like a, a community place. We didn't get to the church. We did a community area so that, it, it, like, you know, nobody had to think, oh, that's a church. We know what they want. We put it in, like, a community area where we advertised prizes and stuff, and people came out to meet my friend that's a big fighter. He ended up coming. He came with us. He's actually the guy that messaged me the article. He came with us, and uh, everybody wanted to meet him. So they would come to the night just to meet Rory McDonald. 
not knowing that it was like a gospel crusade. So he'd come up, give his testimony and stuff, talk about how God pulled him out of darkness. And then I'd come up and preach like a 30-minute strong gospel message, give an altar call. And we saw in a community, and we were in the schools because all this, a lot of the suicides were, were teenagers. So we got into the schools. And um, we had in five days of, of preaching, 186 Decisions for Christ, if I'm not mistaken, is 186. That's 18.6% of the entire town, the entire uh, reservation. And um, the first day we got there, just to give you an illustration, a very real illustration of the moment we step on the scene, we carry the light of the word of God, the light of the gospel, and the, the devil has nothing else he can do after that. The day one, Sunday morning while I was preaching, there was someone that got stopped from killing themselves across the street from the church. They were about, I don't know how they were going to do it, but they were about to kill themselves. Someone walked in at just the right time, a Christian, and stopped them, took the whatever they were using to kill them away, and, and, and uh, they ended up coming to church. From that one suicide attempt till today, I believe there's only been one suicide. And that's, we're two years later, 2019, 2022. We're two, it was uh, in December 2019, so we're two years later. And there was, there's only been one, and for like 18 months, there was none. So you have this epidemic, this like flood of people killing themselves. We go with the gospel, have 186 people saved, and all of a sudden, for 18 months, there's not one suicide, and then there's only one in the last six months, and there's a great victory right there. It would have continued. Mark my words, it would have continued. Government was throwing money at it. They had all kinds of humanitarian efforts. They were trying to launch at it, trying to get people, you know, let's, how can we cheer their spirits up? You can't cheer the spirit of someone, uh, someone's spirit up who's in sin, who's under the dominion of darkness. So when we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and we march on and unashamedly preach the gospel, we are on the attack and we're taking territory and we're doing actual spiritual warfare and we're defeating the devil every step of the way. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he didn't have a worship night. He didn't play the guitar over the city and sing nice worship songs, Chris Tomlin songs over the city. That's not doing anything. The gospel must be preached if the light is going to overtake the darkness. I'm not against worship nights. They have their place. But that's not the solution to taking the cities of America and Canada back. It's shot in your feet. Not with the... With, with the prayer projects of every, it's not praying for everybody. It's shot in your feet with the gospel of peace. When someone comes to you and they're in all kinds of trouble, don't say, oh, I'll keep you in prayers. Preach the gospel to them. Romans 10 says, how can they hear unless there be a preacher? How can there be a preacher unless someone goes? Just as the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet. There it is again. The feet of those who bring good news of glad tidings. And Jesus said, when you go into a city and they don't hear you, shake the dust off where? Your feet. It's the preparation of the gospel. It's shot in your feet with the preparation of the shoes of peace, the gospel of peace. 
Shake the dust off your feet. They don't, people ask me all the time, well, I've been praying for this person for years and I've been preaching and nothing happens and I, I just feel like I'm not getting anywhere and I, I, I'm not seeing anything. I haven't won a soul. You've done it, your job with them. Your job is to preach the gospel to them. Make a clear presentation and invitation. After that, move on to some, someone else. There's too many people that need to be saved that are waiting to hear your feet walk into their life to be preoccupied by the few that don't want anything to do with it. Jesus said, not everyone's going to receive your message. They said, if they don't receive me, neither will they receive you. So Jesus inevitably was saying, essentially was saying, if, if they're not hearing you out, they wouldn't even hear me if I was preaching to them. So move on. Walk somewhere else. Go to the next town. Go to the next person. And it's interesting that it says shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Why is that? I was thinking about it before. I believe it's because all God requires of us is that we go. Everything else is by the anointing. The anointing can't make you go. That's up to you. That's why you got to get your, your feet shod with the gospel. Meaning I'm going where the gospel takes me. But I'm going. Everything else, once you open up your mouth, it's the anointing that takes over. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He's anointed me. That's why a lot of people don't do it. Well, you know, what if I go and I stumble on my words? Or I do? You'll find out if you'll shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and actually go, the anointing will kick in. Well, I don't feel like I'm bold enough to do it. Boldness is not something that you feel and then you go out and do something. Boldness is something that comes on you while you're doing it. The anointing will kick in. That's why Jesus said, don't be afraid or premeditate or worry before and as to what you'll say. It's the spirit of my father who's going to speak in and through you. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a mouth and a wisdom that nobody that stands against you will be able to contradict. Stephen, in preaching against the religious crowd that was ready to stone him, the Bible says they couldn't resist the spirit of wisdom by which he spoke. So it's not you speaking, it's the spirit of God doing the speaking in and through you. But we still have, the, 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 the thing that we have to do, our responsibility is putting on this part of the armor, which is shodding our feet, going. Jesus didn't say, wait till they come, and then I'll show you who to preach to and who not to preach to. We'll make it like a little treasure game. No, he said, go, go, ye therefore into all the world. Why do you think we did a, a, a crusade last year? And we would have done three last year, but we weren't able to do three because we couldn't get permits everywhere. But we got a permit in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Why did we do it? We could have sat home. Finances were rolling for this ministry. It cost money to throw that crusade. We could have just stayed home. We could, have, we could have just done the broadcast and just said, you know, Father, we pray for the people in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. We pray that you get them saved. No. There's a, there's a commission. There's a mission to be done. I'm not waiting for a move of God. I'm shodding my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I am the move of God. I'm going to be the move of God. I'm not praying that someone else goes. I'm going. The Bible doesn't say... And pray that they get saved. It says, go ye therefore into all the world and preach. And these signs will follow them that believe. You'll lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. You'll cast out devils. God is delaying his coming because there's people that need to hear your footsteps. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth. Just imagine it this way. 
if you hadn't, if, if the Lord hadn't delayed his coming before you got saved, you would have gone to hell in a handbasket. He delayed it. He held off. The Bible says in Matthew 25, referring to the end times, when the master delayed his coming. So we know God is actually delaying his coming. He's been wanting to come for a long time. He could have come in World War II. Hitler had every Antichrist trait. He had the Antichrist spirit. And yet he didn't come then because he said, no, no, no. There's too many that have to hear. There's too many that have to receive. Number four, shield of faith. Above all, take up the shield of faith. Interesting that Paul says, above everything else, above the, sh the, the shoes of the gospel of peace, above the breastplate of righteousness, above the belt of truth, you need the shield of faith. Why? Because the just shall live by faith. For truth to... To, to, for truth to have value with you, it has to be mixed with faith. Remember, Hebrews 4.2 says, they heard the same gospel that we heard, but it didn't profit them having not been mixed with faith. So truth, even, even truth, does not profit you and won't bring you freedom unless it's mixed with faith. The breastplate of righteousness, God's made you righteous. The truth on redemption, all of that. Is not, is not going to do you any good unless it's mixed with faith. Unless I actually believe that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Unless I actually believe I'm a new creation. Unless I actually believe that God is for me, I'm going to sink down in, in fear. I'm going to be sinking in despair. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in fear the rest of my life. Unless I actually believe those things. So the word of God becomes valuable when it's mixed with faith becomes profitable to you when it's mixed with faith. That's why Paul says, above everything else, you have to take up the shield of faith, which, with which we quench every fiery dart of the enemy. What are the fiery darts of the enemy? They're lies. The lies of the enemy that he throws your way every day. When you see a billboard, when you see news, when you see a report, when you see whatever, that contradict what God's word says your life is to look like. Those are the fiery darts of the enemy. If you don't have the shield up, they, they end up piercing through your armor and you end up uh, succumbing to defeat. The shield of faith quenches every, you know I love how it says every fiery dart, not some of the fiery darts. It doesn't say most of the fiery darts. Doesn't say most of what the devil's planning against you, uh, the shield of faith will be able to handle it, but some things the shield of faith can't handle. Everything the devil would seek to do to you and your family is put down by the shield called faith. All the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one is put down, extinguished, quenched by the shield of faith. And it's important to note, I heard a preacher say this uh, a little while back. He said that when David went to pick up Saul's shield, he couldn't pick it up. He didn't have the physical strength to actually pick it up because Saul was a big dude. It says he stood head and shoulders above all the rest. So he couldn't pick it up. That's why he went out with his, sto his stone and his sling. So there's a shield of faith, but unless you have spiritual stamina and a constant downloading of the word of God on a daily basis, you're not going to have the inner, spirit, uh, the inner strength by your spirit man to actually lift it up. So the shield of faith is there, but there's some Christians that are so weak on the word, they can't even lift it up. The shield of faith in your life will be as effective as your understanding of the word of God.
When your understanding of the word of God is high, the shield of faith will be totally up. And, and, and it'll be at its most effective because faith comes by hearing, remember, and hearing by the word of God. So as you hear the word of God, you're downloading into yourself strength in the inner man. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 3.14, uh, giving thanks unto the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is derived, that according to his strength or his spirit, he may grant unto me strength in the inner man. So some people have a weak inner man. They can't even pick up the, the shield of faith. But when you get the word in you, you're strengthening your inner man. And as such, you can pick up the shield of faith. So when the devil says, hey, you're going to die young, you can say, actually, no, the Bible says with long life he'll satisfy me and show me his salvation. Devil says, hey, you're, you're going to be poor the rest of your life, just like your family's always been. Actually, shield of faith <laughs> extinguishes that fiery dart by saying, my God's going to supply all, all my needs according to his riches and glory, and he has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Devil comes in, throws another dart at you, says, hey, your children aren't going to serve the Lord. Actually, devil, that that fiery dart gets quenched out too. Because Proverbs 22, 6 says, If I'll train up my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, even when they are old, they will not depart from Him. Hallelujah! So even if you have the breastplate of righteousness on and all the other things, and even the sword, but don't have the shield, all you're gonna, you have no defense system. You're just going to be hiding out in a corner somewhere, hoping the devil doesn't, doesn't even uh, notice you. But the shield of faith, when you lift it up, nothing Satan can attempt to do can ever penetrate. Nothing Satan can attempt to do. There's nothing Satan can attempt to do that faith cannot subdue. Number five, the helmet of salvation. This is important. It's on the, the head. The helmet is placed on the head for a reason. Um, it's to guard your... Your, your brain. In war, it was literally to guard, like, so that a sword doesn't get hacked up in your brain. In the spiritual armor of God, God uh, Paul says it's the helmet of salvation because it's to guard our thoughts. For and I love how he says it's the helmet of salvation because Paul is saying now what salvation has made you to be that's what's to rule and reign in your mind. And so you need to guard your thoughts by putting on this helmet of salvation, the helmet of redemption, the helmet of your new creation reality. So that you don't, you don't go back to identifying with your old nature realities, what you used to be. The helmet of salvation protects your mind uh, against the lies of the enemy that would get you to, to start adapting a perspective of yourself of what you used to be and keeping that on even after, even after you've been born again, keeping that same, that same perspective of yourself, those same thoughts of yourself post-redemption. Everything changed. That's why Paul said, I'm no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. The helmet of salvation, it protects that transformation process that takes place. That's right, someone wrote your identity in Christ. It keeps, you, it keeps you rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word pertaining to your identity in Christ because of salvation. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror because of Christ. 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Bible says that in Christ Jesus, he has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. The Bible says, I said it before, in Christ, we are the righteousness of God. The Bible says that in Christ Jesus, we can do all things through, through Christ who gives us strength. So those new creation realities are renewing as you get into the word of God. As we look in this mirror, it's transforming our mental uh, perspective of who we are. Because as a man thinks in himself, so is he. So if you think... Uh, if you think poor thoughts of yourself, if you have wrong believing of yourself and of what salvation has done for you, you'll have, you'll have a wrong harvest. But if you have right believing and you guard your heart above everything else for out of it flows the issues of life, you guard your mind against those, those uh, satanic lies, then there's a, a, new con a new confidence that rises up in you. You walk differently. You talk differently. As a man thinketh in himself, so is he. You'll either think like the old man and live like the old man, or you think like the new man and you live like the new man. I'm a new creation. Here are seven, seven new realities, new creation realities that you can, this is how you can like practically put on this helmet of salvation today. Start to confess these things. Write these down if you, if you can. I am a new creation. I'm, the old things are passed away. Everything becomes new. I'm not what I used to be. I may not be what I want to be yet, but I'm not what I used to be. And thanks be unto God, I'm being transformed and conformed into that image day by day. Number two, greater is he that lives in me. Because the blood of Jesus has washed me and cleansed me, I'm now a dwelling place, a tabernacle for the Holy Ghost to dwell in. Number three, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Number four, I am born again. I'm born again. And I'm born from above, the Bible says. Number five, I'm a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. You got you to gotta guard your thoughts about yourself. You have mediocre thoughts of yourself, you'll be a mediocre person in life. Probably a complainer. You start to carry a different level of spiritual dignity when you understand you know, people think like berating themselves is a, a pious thing to do. That it's a spiritual thing to do. I, I, how many even know I'm just a piece of junk? <laughs> Amen. What are you, dumb? Do you know because it's no longer I who lives, Christ now lives in me. So Paul's saying I'm dead, Christ now lives in me. What you say about yourself, you're saying about Jesus? Because Christ, we've been joined to Christ and I've become one spirit with him. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So you start speaking, be careful what your I am statements. I am stupid. I am dumb. I am, I am reckless. I'm useless. I'm boring. I'm not able. I'm a quitter. I'm a loser. Keep saying that. As a man thinketh in himself, so is he. Instead, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm born again. I mean, that's why the word of God can eliminate any form of depression because the devil wants to say uh, the devil wants to crush you by making you feel inferior by making you feel uh, less than by weighing you down with negative thoughts of yourself the word of God does the opposite it, before Christ the word of God has nothing good to say about you 
after Christ, the word of God has nothing bad to say about you. More than a conqueror. The Bible says, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. I belong to the camp of victors. Hallelujah. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. So the seven are, I'm a new creation. These are, these are the seven new creation realities. Seven things that, that the Bible uh, has made you to be. I'm a new creation. I'm gr greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm born again. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm an overcomer. And I'm seated in Christ, with Christ in heavenly places. Put on the helmet of salvation by declaring, confessing those things, walking in the awareness of that daily. Number six, someone wrote, Natasha wrote, I'm the apple of his eye. That's right. The apple of his eye. I know that more than ever now. My children are the apple of my eye. I will do anything for them. And it's actually interesting, Natasha, that if you read the rest of the verse where it says that, uh, that they're the, um, he talks about Israel being the apple of his eye, it actually continues on by saying, and I will shake my fist against anyone that rises up against them. So because I'm the apple of God's eye, anything, just like my child, any, you stretch a hand against my child and you will face the wrath of TJ Malkanji. You, God is saying in the same way you have that feeling for your children, you are the apple of my eye. Any devil that's bold enough to stretch his hand against you will face my wrath and swift judgment. That's why I always say, the devil's decision to rise up against you is his decision to fall. Any demon that takes it in hand to rise up against you has made a decision to fall, to be destroyed. Number six, the sword of the spirit, the word of God used offensively. Offensively, So there's the shield of faith, which is the word of God used defensively. But then there's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God used offensively. Jesus, uh, Jesus showed us this in Luke chapter four. He's being tempted by the devil. Every temptation the devil threw at him, he always replied, no devil, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the shield of faith will quench the fiery darts, the lies the devil throws your way, the enemy throws your way, demons throw your way. The sword of the Spirit will allow you then to cut down the opposition so they don't even have hands to, to bend back another bow. Hallelujah. David said in Psalm 18, I rose up against my enemy and I struck them down until they were unable to rise again. So the, the shield of faith will quench the attack. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, then you can, be, you can use it to go on the attack to strike down that lie, that stronghold of the enemy once and for all so that it never becomes an object of concern again in your life. You shouldn't be worried over and over and over and over again for the same things the rest of your life. The thought of worry might come. The shield of faith extinguishes it, but then use the sword of the, the word of God to then go on the attack. Counterattack it with what God has said. So the devil says, you're, you're going to fall sick. Shield of faith rises up? No. Because the Bible says that uh, if I serve the Lord, he'll bless my bread and water and he'll take sickness out of my midst. In redemption, I'm not positioned to receive sickness. That's the shield of faith. It, it extinguished that lie. But if that's all you do, 
You're never gonna, you're never gonna get to the root of where the, the source, the origin of those lies, and it'll continue to bombard your mind over and over again. Now you go a step further. Not only am I not gonna get sick, I'm using the word. Psalm 91 says, with long life, he's gonna satisfy me. I'm gonna have an overwhelming long life that's satisfying, effective, and useful for the master. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan tried again. Well, why don't you fall off this temple? His angels are, gonna comm- are, are commanded to keep you charged. To, to, they've been commanded to bear you up in all your ways, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Then finally, he brings them to the exceedingly high mountain, shows them all the glory of the kingdoms in a moment of time, and says, All this has been given to me. You, you can have it if you'll bow to me. And he said, thou shalt serve the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He used the word. He didn't just, see, if all, the shield of faith is believing God in your heart. Uh, things that, that, that are opposite to what the enemy is trying to sow into your heart. The shield of faith is belief in the heart. The sword of the spirit is when you learn to confess it with your mouth. So the thought comes of worry. The shield of faith rises up. Actually, that's not how it's going to go for me. But then the sword of the Spirit is now I'm going to use my mouth as a weapon to counterattack the very thing. Don't stay quiet. Don't stay quiet. Learn to read the Bible to the devil daily. It'll give him a nervous breakdown. Use your mouth as a weapon of warfare. Use your tongue. Bible says that um, every tongue that rises up against you, you will condemn. So not only... Believe differently in your heart what the devil is trying to deceive you with, but now use your tongue to condemn the source of that lie, to cast it down so it never rises again. And I'll remind you that it didn't take more than three scriptures for the devil to leave Jesus alone. Don't just believe his words, speak it, boldly declare it. That's how you use the sword of the Spirit to pierce through the enemy. Those are the six uh, elements of the, the armor of God. I pray that this put in you a, a, like a deep appreciation for the armor of God that transcends what, what you've ever heard, that transcends what you heard in children's church growing up or you know that song you learned. It's good to know what the armor of God is. It's better to know what the armor of God, uh, understanding what it is for you and how to apply it. And I told you how to apply it. It's very easy. You apply it by getting in the word. Every single every single piece of this armor goes is connected to the word of God. The helmet of salvation is your knowledge of uh, redemption and new creation realities. The shield of faith is your knowledge of whatever, you know, whatever area uh, of, of concern the enemy might be, uh, might be attacking. See, faith is also compartmentalized. So you can have faith for prosperity, but no faith for healing. And so you have a shield set up for prosperity, but no shield set up for healing. So the shield of faith is going to be built as you, you come under the understanding of your covenant with God and, uh, and what that means for you. Then you look at the, the belt of truth, has to do with the truth of the word. Every single one of these armor of these armors has to do, is connected, is linked up 
with your understanding and knowledge of the Word of God. What you don't know from, from God's Word is making you vulnerable. It's like a kink in the armor where the enemy can, can access in that area. So you can have the helmet on, you can have the shoes on, you can have the breastplate on. But if you don't have the shield, you're open attack. I mean, it's an open attack. You're open prey. If you have the helmet on, the shield, and the sword, but don't have the breastplate on, the enemy can get to your vital organs. He can get to, 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 to your heart, where out of it flows the issues of life. He can hit you at your core. You're vulnerable. So as you come under the understanding of your righteousness, of faith, of salvation, of the Word of God, you're building up your spiritual armor. And as such, you're leaving the realm of vulnerability and you're entering into the realm of, 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 of a threat. You're now a threat to the kingdom of hell. You can either, you can either be uh, someone who's a, a liability to heaven and vulnerable to all that hell would do, or you can decide today, I'm not going to be a lazy Christian. I'm going to get in the word and I'm going to be a threat. I'm going to be on the attack. I'm not going to seek to survive in life. I'm going to seek to take ground, to put my hand to the plow and do, do the master's bidding. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you, that the understanding of the word delivered today would be implanted into the hearts of those that are watching right now. Lord, that there would be from today a decision to build, like the word of God says, I commit you to God and his word, which is able to build you up. Father, that from today there'd be a decision to be built up, to not live life in survival mode, but to live li like, like hiding in the crags and in the rocks, but to live life on the attack, fully clothed in this armor, carrying the sword of the Spirit, ready and alert, no matter what the enemy's plan, to subdue and to take over. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, let an army of of SEAL Team 6 warriors rise up from this broadcast who are confident in their identity in Christ, who aren't being tossed to and fro, aren't being taken advantage of by the enemy, but are not only walking in freedom, but by the shoes of the gospel of peace are carrying that freedom everywhere they go. In Jesus' name, I ask you, Lord, that you would show us, each and every one of us, if there's any vulnerable spots in our armor, if there's any area that there's a kink, any area where there's compromise in, any area where, where we're not doing our part in, I ask you, Lord, highlight it to us. Give us grace and power to change it and shift it so that we'd be fully covered, fully protected. For we know we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do wrestle against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places and rulers of the, of the powers of darkness. But your word says that we already have the victory. Thank you that your word says that because God's spirit abides in us, though the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one and the enemy can do whatever he wants to them, that unto us who are called by your name have been born again, 
we run by a different set of rules. In Jesus' name, we love you. Thank you for the cross. None of this would be possible without the cross. None of this would be possible without Jesus coming and dying that sinner's death so that we, the sinner, might take on the king's armor and carry the power of God to our generation. Lord, I ask you, before you return, Your word says in Joel 2, the prophecy of the end days, that there will be an army that rises up, such as has never been seen before, who have a fierce look in their eyes, whose appearance is like swift war horses, your word says, who they march on in ranks. Lord, through this broadcast, use this broadcast to raise up globally men and women as such that don't break ranks, that have unity of mind, unity of purpose, that are working while it is yet day, knowing that night is coming. In Jesus' mighty name, and I give you thanks for it in advance. The best days for the church are not behind us. The best days for the church are ahead of us. And as my mentor, if you haven't been on my Instagram account, I posted something yesterday. If you haven't seen it on Instagram, it's my mentor, Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, and he, he gives off, like it's like a 30-second video. And uh, it shot life in my spirit. It steered me up. It, it put something in me. He said the church will not be stopped. We will keep on marching. We will, we will fulfill our commission gloriously. And our mandate will be done and sealed. And it will be accomplished victoriously and triumphantly. By the backing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until Christ comes. We're not going out as a weak, deprived, bruised, broken church. We are a glorious bride without spot, without wrinkle. And the devil's going to find out. He tried to overstep his uh, realm of authority in the last 21 months and what he's done. He tried to, he, he stepped past what he's allowed to do. And the Bible says, whoever breaks through the wall shall be bitten by serpents. He tried to, he broke through a wall, but he's, it's only going to backfire. I felt in my spirit, and I'm, this is the first time I share this publicly, but I felt in my spirit a couple of weeks ago when I was praying that every revival and awakening that we've ever seen has been relatively regional or confined to a country. Outside of the 1906 Azusa outpouring, which did, uh, it did flow to the rest of the world, but it took years. Like it took till 1920 for it to reach uh, Montreal and Toronto and all that. And then it took years for it to hit the other, the other most parts of the earth with the Pentecostal outpouring. That's 1906, but it wasn't until like 1920 for Montreal, 1930s for other nations. It took years. And that's like pretty much the only global awakening that we've seen historically documented. I believe because of the, the means and the methods of, of modern media and technology, television, live stream, TikTok, Instagram, Reel, everything, there's going to be a revival of signs and wonders that takes place. And it will not be contained it's going to spread, I mean, I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's going to spread globally. And it's not going to take years. I believe the Lord's coming back quickly. And once this, this awakening kicks into motion, because of, the, you know, the devil, the devil's not the one that put technology in our hands. Technology wasn't sent for, for us to, to propagate wickedness and evil. The technology we have 
God has put it in the mind of men to have it so that it can be an acceleration of the harvest. I really believe that the awakening that's going to happen, the next one that's going to happen, it's going to be so, it's going to so quickly cover the earth that within days, days, the full number of the Gentiles shall come in and the end shall come. I really believe that. It's going to take days. It's gonna, I'm not saying Jesus is coming back in days. I'm saying once this revival takes place, it's not going to be contained to a specific region. It's not going to take, it's not going to be confined to a specific area. It's going to unfold quickly. It's going to hit Papua New Guinea quickly. It's going to hit Australia. It's going to, it's going to, like the, not, like the Bible says, like the waters cover the sea, so shall the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the entire earth. It's going to be a quick work. I really believe that. Quicker than ever before because of modern tech. We've never had a global awakening because we've never had access to technology like this. But now, the devil's trying to do it, use it for all it's worth to propagate his agenda. But God's about... <laughs> the church is going gonna, is gonna to take advantage of it in the coming days. Amen. I felt that in my spirit to share that today. Off the cuff, but I can see everybody's receiving that. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.